And now here for us today, the name of a very dear friend of mine, John Piper, who is the evangelicals name whose ministry has touched people around the world with his desiring God and the work with it. Coming with John has been a good friend of his. His name is Justin Taylor. He's the vice president of the book division of Crossway Books and has been handling, working a lot of the details with John on this trip. Justin, I want you to stand and we want to give you a welcome today here to our... All right, my dear buddy John, how about coming over here and standing by me, if you don't mind? I need to give you a little background of how we met. Because when he was just one year old, I carried him on my shoulder and helped burp him. <laughs> now that goes back quite a ways, buddy. It does go back quite a ways. This is just like putting my arms around my own son. I knew his daddy in the 70s when I was 16 years of age. His daddy's name is William Samuel uh, Hoddle Piper. And I had the privilege of knowing him and being with him at Bob Jones University. And in my junior year, he asked me if I would join him in holding tent meetings. Mm -hmm. Did you remember that? I don't remember it, but I'll take your yeah. word for it. <laughs> Across Alabama. Well, I went with him, and my job was to be the tent keeper. I was the night guard, or the uh, night watchman, and then uh, my job was to loosen the ropes when it was raining, and to tighten the ropes when the wind was blowing, so that uh, the rain wouldn't cause the canvas to rip and the wind wouldn't cause them to flip away. Then during the daytime, it came about time for the kids' meeting. I took my trombone and I walked around the neighborhood playing the trombone. <laughs> that let the kids know we were getting ready for a kids' meeting. And I told them Bible stories. But I met your daddy and loved him, worked with him. A man had a passion for souls and a passion to preach. And that passion planted itself in my heart. It was five years later that I met Billy Graham, and what a privilege it has been. Well, Peter said, um, sanctify the Lord God in your heart, and be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And with this dear man, it's been with understanding and with passion. I love what um, Peterson translates Psalm 4610. The, the King James is, be still and know that I am God. Peterson translates it, step out of the traffic. Take a long loving look at me, your most high God above all politics, above everything. Aren't you glad for that? 
Here's a man that has stepped out of the traffic of his schedule, his busy schedule, to be with us today. And let's give him a great warm welcome to all of our gang, wherever they are. And John, we're delighted, my brother, to have you here. I love you. I love you. All right. Thank you so much, Cliff. Um, Cliff and Billy and then Cliff and Ann have reached out to me and Noel with your Christmas cards. There's, it's amazing that a, a Christmas card can maintain a relationship over a half a century because we haven't seen each other that much. And when that would come once a year, it sustained it. So that here we are hugging each other and hardly ever see each other. It's really remarkable. So don't minimize what yearly context can do. Thank you for reaching out to us in that way, Cliff. I love Billy Graham and the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Uh, I could tell you a lot of stories growing up in Greenville, South Carolina, and my dad and some of the prices he paid to like Billy Graham. Um, so I grew up with Billy as one of my heroes, and so to be here is really quite an honor to me. I'm sorry you left Minneapolis. I stayed and you left, and, but it's good to be with you. So I want to take a few minutes and try to encourage your faith with uh, three truths from the Gospel of John. This is a distillation of yesterday's sermon, okay? So I've changed the point names and shuffled them all around and distilled it from 50 minutes down to 18, and we'll see if we can do this. So if you have a Bible and you want to look at John 11, that's where we're going to go. And I'm going to hang what I say on three words, sovereignty, substitution, and solidarity. The sovereignty of God, the substitution of Christ, and the solidarity of the church. And I'm going to get those three truths from verses 51 and 52 in John 11. But I would feel good if we paused and prayed and asked God's help in this. So let me do that. Father in heaven, I ask for your help now to, within this time frame, to minister to your people with biblical faithfulness and with the power of the Holy Spirit for the upbuilding of their faith, for the intensification of their worship of Jesus Christ and for their love of the church. So come and help us now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I can't help but um, mention something from my devotions this morning, reading in 2 Timothy chapter 2, where Paul says, the word of God is not bound, this is verse 9, and then he says, therefore, since the word of God is not bound, therefore, 
I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I do everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain salvation. That's amazing. The elect need means to get them home. They will get home, and they will get home by means. I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain salvation. So I, I assume I'm addressing a room full of elect people. may not be the case, but I'm assuming by and large it is. I'm, I'm here to help you make it. Well, I'll, I could preach a sermon on that text, but that was just God saying, go do that this morning. Go do that for those people. Minister to them because God will use this word for their survival. Somebody out there needs to just survive and make it home. So the situation is that Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. A bunch of people believed. Others went and told the Pharisees. The Pharisees gathered the council. This is dangerous. Verse 48 if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe on him and the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. So this is dangerous. The people are starting to follow Jesus. They're calling him the king. If the Romans get word that they're about to have an uprising and make him king, they're coming to Jerusalem and killing us all and taking the temple, which of course happened in 70 AD, but they didn't want it to happen. And so Caiaphas has a solution. And the solution is found in verse 50. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. So Caiaphas' solution is kill him. And you come to the end of the chapter and the Warrant for his arrest has been issued, and it says there, if anybody should know where he is, they should tell the leaders, and then they will arrest him, and thus they will protect their nation from being destroyed by the Romans because this instigator of all this messianic frenzy will be off the scene. So that's the solution to their survival, namely get rid of Jesus. It is better he says that one should die for the nation than that the nation should perish, be destroyed. Now, the most important words in this text are John's response to that in verses 51 and 52. And they are absolutely amazing and full of truth and teaching for us. So let me read John's word John says about Caiaphas, he did not say this of his own accord. Now that's amazing when you think what he said. He didn't say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So my first truth is going to have to do with the sovereignty of God here. 
He did not say that of his own accord. Well, whose accord? God's accord. He did not say that of his own accord. He prophesied, which means God put this in his mind. These words, it is better that one die for the nation, came out of his mouth because God caused them to come out of his mouth. Caiaphas had words and had a meaning. Kill him so the Romans won't kill us. And God spoke these words and he had a meaning and it wasn't Caiaphas' meaning. But here's the surprising thing with regard to the sovereignty of God. These words were Jesus' death warrant. He died because of these words. Caiaphas wanted Jesus dead and out of the way, and God wanted Jesus dead and risen and reigning. So God is using, inspiring, awakening, putting words into the mind and the mouth of Caiaphas. He did not speak this of his own accord. God moved him to speak this, and it got Jesus killed. That's really important for your life. The death of Jesus was not a tragic set of events that God turned for good. It was a loving set of events that God planned for good. In other words, he's right there from the beginning putting the, the, the warrant for Jesus' death in the mouth of Caiaphas. At one level, this is human evil, plotting to kill the one man in the universe who should not be killed. Everybody else should be. And God is in it, over it, on it, under it, governing it to get his glorious saving purposes for the world done. Now, what about you? From outside of your life, or from outside Caiaphas' life, this looks like human injustice running rampant over the rights of a human being, Jesus Christ, and taking him out. That's what it looks like, and that's what it was. But it wasn't that from the inside. From God's perspective, something utterly different was happening, right? He was bringing his son to the cross for me and you, which will be our second point in just a moment. But don't miss the sovereignty of God here. Right now in your life, you are looking at circumstances. Some of them look utterly hopeless. Some kid is walking away from Jesus. Some marriage is about to explode. Your health is, you've been given nine months. And as far as you can see on the outside, there's not going to be a happy ending to this unbelief or this marriage crisis. This is just one big mess, and it can't be fixed. That's what it looked like in this text. 
And John says, he didn't speak this of his own accord. God's all over this. And he is managing it, governing it, planning it for the sake of the nation and the world. I preached this twice yesterday morning and prayed with people for 45 minutes afterwards. One of those was a woman who 10 years ago in my church wanted so bad to leave her husband. He was not doing anything he was supposed to do. He traveled around the world who doing who knows what on the side, and she wanted out of this thing so bad. And I'd pray with her week after week on Sunday morning. And she knew where I stood on divorce. I'm not going to support you in this. We're going to stand together and make it. So she comes up to me yesterday, and she said, and no exaggeration, tears coming down her face. She said, thank you, thank you, thank you for teaching me the sovereignty of God because my parents can't live on the farm anymore. And my sweet, I think she used the word dear, my dear husband has just finished our basement so my parents could live with us if I had left him. I wouldn't know what to do with my parents, and I couldn't watch him love them this way. She couldn't see anything 10 years ago. She couldn't see anything. But this is going to, this is a train wreck waiting to happen and no future for me. And then a woman came up, I'd love to give you their names. And she took me by the collar, very short hair because she was bald six months ago. And she said, thank you for the sermon. Would you please do my funeral? I hadn't seen her for about five weeks. And she said, they've given me two months to nine months. And I said, I'll do your funeral. Radiant smile. She said, just pray for us that God will help us through. I love the sovereignty of God with all my heart. And for 31 years, I have offered it to my people as the rock to stand on, and I love to watch people embrace it in the middle of their impossible circumstances. So that's, that's point number one, the sovereignty of God. The second one is substitution, the substitution of Christ, and, and this is real simple. In Caiaphas's mind, we kill Jesus so the Romans won't kill us. That's, a, that's substitution. In God's mind, it's I killed Jesus so I don't have to kill you. And the reason I'm willing to use that really terrible language, I killed Jesus, is because in Isaiah 40, 53 verse 4, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has just dumped on him the iniquity of us all. And what did they do, these, these iniquities? They crushed him. According to verse 10, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Why? What the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Whose sin? Jesus didn't have any. Mine. 
whose flesh? I wasn't on the cross. Jesus. That's called substitution. Billy has preached this for how many decades? How many millions of people heard this glorious truth? Christ died for sinners. So if you're a late night struggler or an early morning struggler, happened to be an early morning struggler, I feel triumphant at midnight and hopeless at 6 a.m. I got to get saved every morning all over again. It seems like. That's not what I believe. It just feels that way. I just want to tell you, take that word substitution and throw it back in Satan's face every morning, every night when the accusations come down on you. You're not going to make it. You weren't good enough. You're not a real Christian. He didn't die for people who are good enough, Mr. Satan. Be out of here. That's number two substitution. So the sovereignty of God turning all the events, turning all the events of Caiaphas and Pilate and soldiers and shouting crowds that the Son might substitute himself for me and you. And finally, the word solidarity from verse 52. It is better that one should die for the nation and not for the nation only, but to gather into one, into one, the children of God scattered abroad. Those are the elect. The children of God, the Gentiles scattered among the nations. John wrote the book of Revelation, right? This verse is being unpacked in Revelation 5.9. It's one of my favorite missionary verses. You were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made them a kingdom, not a bunch of kingdoms. That's why I'm using the word solidarity. A kingdom, like this text here, verse 52 says, he's gathering the children of God into one. And so here's the concluding point. Racial and ethnic diversity globally in the church of Jesus Christ is not a social issue, it's a blood issue. You were slain and by your blood, now to use the words of Revelation, you have ransomed people from all these tribes and peoples and languages and races. To use the words of verse 52 here, one will die and he will triumphantly gather the scattered from all of those people and there will be one people. So the sovereignty of God brings about the substitution of Christ which produces the globally diverse solidarity of the church of Jesus Christ. And you have such an important role in bringing that about. And so let me pray for you as we close. Father, I pray earnestly that the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association will be true to the Word of God to the end of time. 
And I pray that the leaders would be strong in the Lord and the strength of your might. I pray that they would rest in your sovereignty when things look impossible. I pray that they would be comforted and glory in the substitution of Jesus when their consciences slay them. And I pray that they would be utterly devoted to reaching every people and tongue and tribe and nation and race and ethnicity with the gospel so that there might be one flock, one kingdom, one priesthood, and one church. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.